Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. Uh, one thing we do uh, in our families, we do birthday posters. Anyone else do birthday posters? Right, where you get like a big piece of paper and you write and you draw pictures on it. No one, apparently we love our kids way more than the rest of you love your kids. So, um, and this is what my parents did for me. And so with my kids, they always wanted like a, what? Denny did it? Oh, I know. I know you did. I'm well aware. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not going there. Um, what am I doing? Posters. Oh, and so Max always wanted like... Um, army figures, and I don't know how to draw army figures, so I always just did stick people, and they'd be like on tanks, and, and I got this bright idea of like, if there's a tank, I'm like, how funny would it be if there was a fire-breathing bear going against the tank? I know, that's how my brain works, so I drew it, and I laughed. I woke up in the morning, and Max ran up to his, he's just a little boy, and he goes, why is there a pig breathing fire? I'm like, <laughs> pigs? That's not a pig. I looked at it, and I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen a bear before. <laughs> I could, it looked just like a pig, but in my head, it was a bear. Um, and now it's become like our emblem of our family. It's on everything that we draw. I'm going to get a tattoo of it soon. Yeah, I'm going to be a hip pastor with a tattoo. Um, and, uh, and I love it because when I look at this symbol, right, it makes me think of my kids. And it reminds me, like elevates me, that there's more in this world than just me, right? There's something worth living for and there's something worth loving that's more than just me. It's my three kids, my partner, and my dog, Chance. I love my puppy, all right? And that's what symbols do, right? We see symbols that can evoke some sort of emotion. They can have a react or a force a reaction from us, especially religious symbols. Religious symbols have been around for a long, long, long time. Um, there's this, uh, this, there's this, uh, this concept, the uh, axis mundos. I don't know, I don't speak Latin, so I can't say it correctly or with an accent, but it's the, the idea of that there is a, a place, an intersection between heaven and earth, between supernatural and natural. And it could be like a mountain. It could be a tall tree. It could be a pole. It could be a staff. It could be a body of water. But it's a symbol that when you see it, it's sacred. And it reminds you, and people you know, believe like literally this is where heaven intersects with earth. And we happen to be a Christian, uh, a Christian church, and we have a lot of symbols in Christianity. We have the communion, right? If we hold, like, the wafer or the, what do we use? We use organic crackers or something like that. So um, that is a symbol, right? It's to remind us of the body of Christ. If you were Catholic or Episcopalian, uh, they believe that the cracker and the, the wine or the juice turns into the actual literal body of Christ, which I find incredibly inspiring and beautiful. Uh, we have baptism, right? It's a sacrament. It's a symbol of something new, that you're, you're part of this new creation. And then, like, the, the banger of them all, the biggest, number one, the OG, is the um, cross, right? And the cross, uh, for some people, it's beautiful, it's inspiring, you might have a tattoo of it, you might have a chain of it. For other people, it's incredibly triggering. And you might think, why? How could a cross be triggering to anyone? Well, if, like we talked about last week, by the way, if you're here or you're listening online or watching online, um, I, last week's service was the, I think, hands down, the best service that we have ever had at Neighborhood, ever, in the last eight years. Um, and I bet you would have thought I would have chosen my own sermons as the best when I did it. Right? It was Joshua Herbert, and he talked about um, 
spiritual trauma. It was excellent. So if you have any kind of spiritual trauma, the, that symbol can, you know, re-traumatize you. It can be very triggering. For me, I find that the cross to be very inspiring and beautiful. Uh, the only time that really bothers me, I wasn't planning on saying this, but um, go ahead. So is when, when businesses put a cross, like, on their advertising. It's the only time that bothers me because I look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's what Christ died for for capitalism. That's what he wanted. <laughs> That's what Jesus wanted to make sure that we make more money off that cross. So um, I hope I didn't offend anyone. <laughs> Someone's like, I put that on my advertising just yesterday. Oh, no. So, um, so the, the, the cross. And the Protestants, our, our cross, we're in that camp, by the way. That's our team. Um, it, it, it's, it's just the cross because Christ um, is off the cross and resurrected. And that's what we, how we want to remind it. Episcopalian or Catholics, that Christ is on it, right? Why is Christ always on it? Because they want to focus and remember the suffering and the price and the beauty of Christ's body. And both, again, are inspiring and beautiful. But the reason I'm talking about it is because Good Friday is coming up in two weeks. And we're in the Lenten season, and I thought we should at least do one message on Lent. And so this is the the one, Carly. Um, And I had a friend call me, and they said, hey, can you remind me what our church, like, believes about Good Friday? Can you just, like, you know, get me caught up with the church, like, how we respond to the cross? I'm like, that's a great question. And it's a trick question because we don't hold an official doctrine as a church on the cross, right? Like, there's things that we hold on to, like God is good and beautiful, that we are good and beautiful. And then there's all these different ways of processing the divine and the Bible and spirituality and being human and the fluidity of all those things. And that makes us better. And to me, if the receipts or the fruit of it is love, what's the downside? And so they, they rolled their eyes and said, oh, Chris, I hate when you do that. Okay, tell me what you think about the cross. I'm like, that's a great question. So I thought we could talk about the cross just for a little bit. And again, I'm going to be talking about probably like three or four different ways of imagining what the cross can be. And this is, I, this is important. We talk about reimagining all the time. Reimagine what faith could be. Reimagine what love can be. Reimagine what um, the Bible could be, right, or spirituality. I just had a talk with um, SJ, um, who used to be one of our worship leaders, talking on prophecy. Like, well, do you still believe in prophecy? It was a great conversation to the point that they're going to be speaking at our Duluth service at Dublin's in early May. So that's a free plug. Um, cross, yes. Oh, so what do I think about the cross? I'm be talking, and I'm not saying what I think is the best, even though I kind of think that. But I really do think there's many different expressions and ways of thinking about the divine and thinking about the cross. And I'd say the number one view, when people think about the cross, um, what was handed to me and what I would say a majority of Christians believe um, is that uh, the cross is here because Christ needed to die for our sins, right? That would be like the number one home run answer, got it right. And where that comes from, it's called atonement theory. Has anyone heard of atonement theory before, right? So it's the most widely held view of what Good Friday or the cross can mean. And atonement theory just simply means this. It means there's a sin in this world or in your body or in your kid or in this world, um, that needs atonement. It needs to have a price needs to be paid to make it okay or to make it good or to make it sacred. 
and where that comes from is if you believe the by or the Genesis story in one, two, three to be literal, if you believe it to be a historical um, event, well, then you're going to read that a snake tricked um, Eve into eating the apple that she wasn't supposed to, and by eating that, brought separation from God, brought sin into the world um, for all time in all people in every single square inch of the universe. And when I was studying for this, uh, Nikki, you're going to like this one. Um, I found a quote. It was something from Sojourner's Truth, and it said, if a woman has the power to bring all of creation to its knees, right? If a woman has that much power to bring absolute separation from God for all time, maybe we should get a couple more women together to restore it, right? Like, there's movements that won't let women get up and talk on the stage. They can talk on the floor, but not on the stage. A woman can't tell you about the Bible, right? Even though women bring life into this world. And according to their doctrine, a woman had enough power to strip all, <laughs> all of the divine blessing from it. So that word that we use, or they use, is called original sin. And original sin uh, comes from Eve eating the apple. And that means anytime you have a, a kid, like as soon as that is consummated, as soon as there is life in that, uh, in that little human, right, in that little, uh, um, that, 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 that thing, at the core of it is sin. It are, it's already there, right? And my favorite joke about this is like when I looked at my son Cole for the first time and he's got his big eyes, he's looking at me, and uh, I dipped him in the waters of Chub Lake, and then I looked at him, and I didn't do that. And I looked at him and I said, wow, look at this sinner. <laughs> Man, this sinner right here, he's a good looking one, this sinner, Right? Because if you believe in original sin, right, at the deepest part of you, at the core part of you, is sin. And so God hates sin, right? If God hates sin and there's sin in my little baby, what God sees in my little baby is a sinner, right? God is loving, and since God is loving, God is just. If God is just, there has to be a ransom. There has to be a consequence to sin since God hates sin. And what is that consequence? Hell, where you burn for all eternity, Right? But God is loving, but there has to be consequences. So, according to atonement theory, Jesus had to come, right? But there's a problem with original sin. So God did a one around, right, and uh, impregnated Mary. And so the devil's like, no, and God's like, I got you, devil, right, because I got rid of the original sin. And then Jesus lives a perfect life because there had to be um, a, a perfect being in order to pay for all the sins of all humankind of all time. And once that blood was spilled, ransom was paid. Because when God looks at you, if you say the sinner's prayer, or whatever the conversion theory or um, tactic that you hold, once you do that or embody that or become that, then God doesn't see Cole, my little, little sinner. God sees the blood of Jesus. If the blood of Jesus is on him, then God's no longer angry at them. Ransom has been paid. Now, that's atonement theory wrapped up with a little bit of Chris influenced in there. Um, the other word for his penal substitution. But, um, and it, here's some of the unintended consequences from it. If you believe in original sin and at the core of who you are or anyone else, it gives you permission to be incredibly violent in thought and in deed and in actions. Because if I looked at Tim and said, well, Tim and I are different, and so since Tim's different, he's still a sinner, Right? That gives me permission to treat you less than human. 
Because once you come into my way of thinking or my team or my theology or whatever it is, then we're equals. Until then, you're a project. You're less than. And not just to me, but to God. And so imagine this. Christians have used this to do horrible things in churches, in the world, to people groups, to queer people, of justifying, well, we're doing this in love. Because if you believe that there's a God and you put the label love on it, but then we'll still send someone to hell for all time, to me, I think that I would use a different word than just love. And so, to me, theology really, really matters. And this atonement theory was something I held, I preached, and all I did it nicely. <laughs> right? I did it kindly. And I think a lot of people do believe it, like do it in kind, because we don't always think all the way through. Because I don't believe in original sin. To get, that's chapter 3 in, in Genesis. Chapter 1 and 2, it says that you are what? Good. God created all things and said, all of this belongs. All of this is good. All of this is us. We are connected. If everything's connected, everything belongs. That's where it starts. So I believe in original blessing. And at the deepest part of you is goodness. The deepest part of you is God. It's Christ. Now, you see the difference? Now, instead of looking at you and saying, well, we're different, therefore you're less than, now I'm saying we're connected because we're all good. And if we're all good and everything belongs, then I can move in love. And love transforms the world. So, then how, what's another way of thinking about the cross or Good Friday? Well, it'd start with this. <laughs> this could get me in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyways, right? Think about this. Do I think when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and I believe in a historical Jesus, I believe in a historical, physical resurrection, right? Um, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, do I think that he was thinking about Chris Sodder? Because when I was a teenager and a kid, I was told that Jesus was thinking about me, right? That he died for me. Um, I was also told that I killed him. My sins put Jesus on the cross. Imagine being a teenager and all the things teenagers do that the youth pastor would say, don't do, and I still did them a lot, all right? You feel a lot of guilt and shame and a lot of tears, a lot of fear of hell, because my sin was another nail in the cross. But at the same time, he was thinking of me. Can you, can you see, feel like the anxiety and the tension between I killed Jesus, but he was thinking of me, right? So was Jesus thinking of Chris Sodder? I'd say no. I do not think that Jesus was thinking about Chris Sodder in March of 2023. What I imagine Jesus was thinking about was stumbling upon that woman at the well, and she carried with her the story that everyone else told her. So this is who you are. Because you've done these things, this is who you are. Jesus hears that story and says, I have a brand new story for you. I have a whole new way of thinking and moving and what it means to not just be a human, but what it means to be a woman. And seeing her eyes light up and seeing her move and begin to tell everyone else in town, there's this new water, there's this new story. I imagine that Jesus was probably thinking about the crazy guy in the woods who's running around yelling at everyone. Remember that story, right? But no one would believe him, so he just kept yelling. He just kept moving. And people just kept distancing himself. And they labeled him dangerous because he was different. Until he stumbles upon Jesus. And Jesus believes him. Jesus reminds him that he's always been good. Jesus, like, transforms his life by listening to him. Right? I imagine Jesus was thinking him on the cross about all the kids that felt safe enough to be themselves around an adult. 
which is a huge, huge thing for kids. It's a huge thing for us. Imagine Jesus thinking about the hundreds of people that would follow him around, party to party, hill to hill, right? Because they felt inspired and they felt they belonged, but because they had food. Because this community of people was willing to share what they had. Imagine Jesus was thinking about the woman who broke into the party and dumped all that uh, expensive perfume and began to wash his feet with her hair. And everyone else was looking at her saying, what are you doing here? You don't belong. People like you don't come to parties like this. And Jesus looking around the room saying, you're missing the plot. I, I think of Jesus parting with Lazarus. I think of Jesus with Mary and Mar- Martha, right? I-, I think this is what Jesus was thinking on the cross. Because what got Jesus killed? It wasn't my sin. I do believe in sin. <laughs> it was my sin that got Jesus killed. What got Jesus killed was that he decided to not just think about love, but be love. Jesus wasn't just going to have like this theory of love. Jesus embodied it, and he did it. And he said the quiet things out loud. Because what he said was, those in the back of the line, you're free to move around the world. And actually, you belong at the front of the line. The people at the front of the line did not like that. Why? And how do we know? Because the cross is our religious symbol, but is a death machine. It is something they would put on a hill to publicly demonstrate who's at the front of the line. The cross was a public execution to tell everyone else, you stay in the back of the line. This is how it works. Who has the power? Stay small, stay quiet, stay in your lane. And it worked, right? And Jesus came and said, I think we should all move to the front of the line. I think we should, like, because of who we are, not because of our last name, not because of our, our power, not because of where we're at, but just being human, like, we belong at that table. We belong agency over our body. We belong being believed. Like, we belong being able to find access to things that make us feel good. Maybe we can actually take care of one another and push a back empire. That's what got Jesus killed, right? And it makes sense because have you ever been at work and you saw something unethical? You saw maybe people cutting corners to save a couple bucks and you thought, hey, that's not right. I should go talk to the boss. He'll believe me, <laughs> right? You, you, you pause or you don't do it. Why? You don't want to get fired. You don't want to be that person. You don't want pushback. You have kids to feed, so you just stay quiet. Ever been around a family that someone has a change of belief, change of identity, a change of politics, right? And they have to set up boundaries, right? That's every parent's favorite word. Dad, I have boundaries, <laughs> right? And what, what do a lot of families do? We respect your boundaries and we are very kind. No. <laughs> Most people, they get boundaries, they do what? There's violence. There's exclusion. There's a consequence. The amount of times I've heard from women telling stories of some guy coming up, putting the arm around him, some stranger, and saying, hey there, baby doll, and saying something, you know, patriarchal or misogynistic, and the women laugh. And why do you laugh? And they said, because it keeps them moving. Because if I'm clear, if I'm honest, if I speak up, he stays. And that costs me something. This is what happened to Jesus. Jesus spoke up. 
Jesus showed up and he inspired people to be fully themselves, which always goes against power. And Jesus resurrects, which says what? It says there's a whole new song. There's a whole new way of being human that love always wins. The empire saw Jesus and his believability is inspiration and what I believe is divine love, right? The Christ in Jesus. And they wanted to kill him. They did kill him to put an end to it. Jesus resurrects and says, this world matters. This body matters. You matter. And when we move in love, even when there's violence, even when they try stopping, even when they try killing it, they can't kill it. Because when we move in love, love always wins. So that's what I believe the cross to be. When I look at the cross, instead of looking at it as like teenage Chris and saying, I put Jesus on that cross, I look at the cross and says, Jesus did go to that cross for me. He went for everybody, but he did it in a way of love. He did it in a way of activism. He did it in a way of inspiration and liberation. So when I see the cross, it prompts me to be that love. Because, man, it is tough to be that love. It's actually really easy when you walk into a room and it's people that you get along with, it's your family, and you're like, I love you, I love you, and you get slaps in the back. It's hard to move in that love when there's an entire system that says these people are less than. Right? Trans kids and all the bills are going on right now. Yeah. It's hard to speak up because you know what you're going to get in return. And I would say keep showing up, keep speaking up because I believe that's what Christ dares us to do. So let's pray. So Jesus, I thank you that you embody love. And embodying love is not just keeping inside that you did love. That love always moves. Love always includes. Love always liberates. And I thank you for the demonstration of what sacredness and holy and beauty can look like. And so I pray for the moxie and the sisu and the wisdom to keep showing up and being love. That we can have the same faith that Christ had of God. That love always wins. And like communion, we take communion and we eat it. And Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, right? That means it is what sustains us. It is what nourishes us, is you. And for all of us who just need that a little bit more today, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring that love and that inclusion and that power so we can keep moving in love. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, um, thank you for being in the space with me. Um, If you would like the process more, or you'd like to read more, everything I just said is just technically called Liberation Theology. If you, there's a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone. It is transformative. If you want to geek out a little bit, you can read that book, and we can grab something to drink and process more. So thank you for coming. Have a great rest of your weekend.